0: Okay. Ready? We'll do, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do, but you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That? Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six? Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm hmm. All right. Together, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and, oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey everybody, welcome to I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. All right, well here we are again. This the uh What are we doing?
1: Uh, I think oh, we're yeah. doing a podcast. I'm okay you're <laughs> 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 I'm okay, you're I'm not okay. I'm okay, obviously. Bob's okay,
0: yeah. I'm definitely not okay.
1: Well, what's the deal? You you dropped Luke off at high school today. He's in high school now. That's really, really weird for me. It must be super weird for you.
0: It's, I mean, it wasn't weird until you said it. And then as soon as I heard you say it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, yeah. my son's in high school. Because I always think of him as like a four or five-year-old kid. Mm. The same way I think of myself as kind of like an eight or nine-year-old kid and not a uh, Late forties kid <laughs> right. i've been using like I've been telling people I'm in my late forties like real late, like so late I'm probably not gonna be showing up <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i'm actually I just turned thirty six last week, and uh people thought i was thirty six for like ten years so now i've I've finally grown into i guess the age of what my fucking face looks like so That's been a fun thing for me. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I always feel 8 or 9. I think I always feel like 15 or 16. That's sort of where I'm stuck. That's my operating software I have to sort of move out of when I have to navigate the real world where I'm not 15 or 16. I mean, I'm all over the place with my age.
0: It really is. It just depends on what I'm talking about, where I'm at, what
1: I'm dealing with at the moment. What age do you think that you were the happiest of your whole life? now really now oh yeah
0: interesting interesting answer this is definitely the happiest i've been also arguably i've had some of the most the darkest times of my life just because i think it's because i'm in touch with my feelings so i'm aware of what i'm feeling so when i'm feeling depressed i really feel depressed But I'm, I just, I don't spend a lot of time bullshitting. Like I'm not trying to pretend to be somebody that I'm not, Mm -hmm. like most of the time. And I spent most of my life feeling really uncomfortable trying to figure out who am I supposed to be in this situation so that I'll be, be okay. And like when I think, when I look back at pictures of me like in high school or in college or In my 20s, man, I was so uncomfortable all the time because I just didn't know who to be. And now I'm just like, I kind of don't give a
1: shit. Are you telling me that when you were wearing a different cat in the hat hat every day in in your 20s in Austin, you didn't know who you wanted to be? Yeah. (laughs) I love that image of you. Combat combat boots, camouflage shorts, cat in the hat hat. (laughs) Dude, I don't know what I've, what I've thought about my
0: whole life, but I've always thought that like a hat would make me cool. And yeah. then at f- five years ago or six years ago, I finally just gave it up. And I said, you know what? I'm done with
1: hats. I remember me and you, we were doing a gig at the Nutty Brown. And I don't know why, but we thought, let's get some hats today. <laughs> Do you remember this? We went to a thrift store and bought like bowler hats or, <laughs> or like fedoras or something and we wore hats at the gig that night i mean i have a bunch of hats
0: i think we just wore the hats that i have in my closet oh yeah yeah yeah. you just had some hats laying around
1: (laughs) oh yeah i've bought many a hat i just don't walk out of the house with it on my head right i bought a hat once in new york on tour with you guys and you guys would not stop giving me shit about it but then a movie star came to our show and she liked my hat and so it was like fuck you guys that was my Hello? Crocodile Dundee Panama hat days, which are sadly oh behind me. Oh <laughs> my God,
0: dude, you just reminded me of that shit. You thought you had bought like a Texas hat?
1: No, it's a Panama hat.
0: I know, but you I feel like you thought it was kind of Texan, Texan-ish.
1: I thought it was like cool. I thought it was like New York, Brooklyn. That's what I thought. I thought it was hip. Anyways, that shit was anti-Texan. Like,
0: I felt like you were racist towards texans when you wore that hat
1: that's called projection we can file that under projection and i'm not okay uh you guys definitely were merciless about it though that's no believe believe me when i say this
0: if i would have been wearing that hat that you were wearing i would have definitely been racist
1: towards all texans so you're right i was projecting that onto you there is an interesting thing on tour where if you make a if you make a boo-boo uh perceived perceived or otherwise maybe it's a real boo-boo maybe it's not a real boo-boo you depending on where the what the psychological state is of the tour how many days it's been you will not get away i mean you will be eaten alive that's just part of the thick skin you have to have i remember us being just in an insane spot we were in chicago laura was out with us and uh you know Bruce misspoke he he was trying to tell us to bundle up because it was cold outside he was being really sincere and trying to be helpful but he accidentally said bumble up <laughs> yeah we unloaded on that Oh dude bum- I mean I think we talked about bumble we said bumble for years after that holy shit oh we
0: still we still use that word bumble <gasps> and then the other one the other one that he used one boosting time boosting the gear boost can you he sent us a text because he wasn't going to be at the load in because he was doing something else. And here's what you don't want to do: have other people in the band load your equipment in. And so he just sent a group text: "Hey, can you guys boost? <laughs> can you guys boost my equipment into the club? I'm not going to be there." And we used the word "boost" at least a thousand times yeah. over the next two weeks. I mean, it'd be
1: like instead of passing the pepper: "Hey, man, can you boost that pepper?" <laughs> Everything was (laughs) boost. That was
0: funny, dude. Dude, and I mean, and it was
1: I mean, Bruce was, his feelings were hurt. Well, because, well, I mean, I've been there. I've definitely been there because what happens is for a good minute, you're a sport and you you get it because I, I could see in his face as soon as he said bumble, he was like, oh shit. I just said bumble instead of bundle to these fucking knuckleheads. And you can be a good sport for a minute, and then it goes on so long that you do get butt hurt i've done I've done it I've been the guy that gets butt hurt and then hopefully it comes back around again and the absurdity of how long it is starts to take some of the the edge the sting out of it
0: well, the problem with Bruce is that he really even though he really tries to be congenial and get along i mean he really goes out of his way to to be agreeable and amenable mm-hmm uh He's just not good at it, and he just, I don't know, it's like something that's built in into his operating system, where he just does stuff that is fucking super annoying, and then as soon as that happens, then its it all begins. Then it's all boosting and bumbling, uh, because everybody, you know, because if he was like not, if he wasn't, if he didn't have that in him, we wouldn't give him so much shit, but...
1: Well, yeah, it doesn't. For me, it doesn't he? Doesn't annoy me. I've I've always loved working with him. You have more history with him, but it was just for me. It was more like tour insanity, you know. Like to, just after a certain amount of time, anything can set that crazy shit off. And because Oliver did it a lot too, for me, I I used to when I first started touring with you, I would spend half the show just looking at Oliver laughing because I couldn't believe some of the stuff he was doing. And I know that ended up kind of being annoying for you, but <clears throat> I never look at Ollie on. When we're playing live, I don't want to look over
0: there. I just assume he's doing a a wonderful job.
1: Yeah. Well, the first time I ever met you guys is when we were doing a co-headline gig with I was playing with Griffin House. I never knew any of you dudes. First time I met Harmony and Conrad and uh, Ted. <clears throat> well, we pulled up in our little rinky-dink van next to y'all's bus, and I guess Oliver had been swimming <laughs> in the ocean because this was in Carmel, California. And he was only in swim trunks. And so you guys were sound checking. He was like, I got to go change clothes. And, and uh... oh, no, the opening band was playing. We were like, dude, just walk out on stage in your swim trunks and play trumpet with this band. He'd never talked to them, never knew them. It was like the first of three local openers. And he walks out playing trumpet. I'll never forget the look on the band's face because they didn't know that he was going to be entering the stage topless, you know, in trunks playing a fucking trumpet. But while he was doing that, you guys had moved the bus, and he didn't know where to, so he didn't have any clothes for a while. And so yeah. that was our first introduction to Oliver. Dude, let me tell you my favorite
0: on-stage Ollie story. So we were playing in Chicago, where Ollie's from, and his family, maybe his dad, his dad had never come and seen him perform, ever. And uh, we were playing outside, and it was during the summer and it was it was either 99 degrees or 100 degrees or 101 degrees it was right
1: around that kind of temperature <laughs> that was a funny <laughs> sentence it was either 99 or 100 or 101 degrees <laughs> i mean i don't know exactly
0: how hot it was but it was right in there it was hot and we're playing outside so there's no you know there's no
1: was there a cover was it a covered stage or anything
0: yeah but kind of covered you know it was a small small stage and it was on a you know concrete street it was in the street it wasn't in a park right so so we're playing this is the first time ollie's dad has ever shown up at a gig ever and we've played chicago many many times Mm -hmm. he's just never come he's just not interested uh
1: i don't know what his parents deal is but which that's a shame because ollie's so talented and cool but yeah, go ahead. He's he's geniusly talented. And uh
0: so we go, we get onto this stage and I look over, and Ollie is wearing a parka, a hat, goggles, <laughs> gloves, <laughs> and maybe a snowsuit. But he is bondied up, dude. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like completely. And he doesn't take off any of those clothes for the whole game gig (laughs) we're doing it's so hot and then the last song he takes off everything except for his boxers and he is drenched wow by the way by the time he took everything off his dad long gone his dad stayed for two songs and then left
1: he's like love you love you dad (laughs) stand up and take a bow (laughs) oh my god wow wow Uh oh that dude's I'll tell you. I'll tell you a couple of ways. Well, it's the same thing, but I did it a couple of times where I really fucked up with Oliver. Because I don't know if you remember, but me and Oliver got along pretty well. Me and Ollie had a good rapport uh, consistently. Uh-huh. We just sort of found each other's little... <clears throat> the little way that we, we our personalities complement each other. And we got along super well. I would go eat dinner with him and Michelle and at his house. All that, blah, blah, blah. Here's where I really fucked... I've, where Ollie was really mad at me. Is... This would happen in Chicago because that was where he's from, and he would have family there. So he would often leave right after the gig, right? And he would we just wouldn't see him again. And we would get after show food. For most people who don't know, like usually when after a show, the tour manager would usually procure for you after show food. You order off a menu. He writes your name on a little styrofoam thing. I would be drunk and hungry, and I've eaten my food. And then I would eat Ollie's dinner. Ooh. Because I thought, well, it's super late. It's been sitting here for hours. Bus calls at 2. And he would usually get there right before a bus call. And he'd be like, where's my food? And I'm like, oh, man. I'm so sorry, dude. I was drunk and I ate it. Ooh, he did not like that. And He did not brush that off. It was like a big talk. And then a couple of months later, I think I did it again. Just because I was hungry and he wasn't there. But this is the only time that I've really been sideways with Oliver.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I learned that along. Yeah, he takes his food very seriously.
1: Well, it was pretty uncool to do. I mean, if someone did that to me on my bus now, I wouldn't, I'd be pretty unhappy. If some new guy in the band ate my fucking after show food, I'd be pretty upset too. I think it was reasonable.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only time I've ever done that sort of thing is if everybody's in bed and everybody's, and it was when we, you know, when we used to travel around in a tour bus. Mm -hmm. And if everybody was in bed and I was up and I was hungry, I would just open up the cabinets and eat whatever I could. But right. then, with the idea that the next day, the first thing I would do is replace the food. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not going to just eat it and then not replace it. And plus, they're sleeping, so they're not going to
1: eat it. How often did you replace it first thing?
0: Uh, I mean, I was pretty good about replacing the food. And, and you know, we would joke about it and go, oh, I guess the bus rats got in there right. and stuff like that. Um, But, um, yeah, I was pretty good. I mean... Here's the thing about touring, and you know it because you do it and I do it, but mm-hmm. people don't understand that part of touring is being cool to the people around you because yes. you're away from home, um, it's not fun, and people think it's like being in a band's fun because they just see you playing live, and that's great. Absolutely. Playing is fun. You're up there with your friends um maybe you're partying after the show all that's great but then the rest of it you're just hanging out with a bunch of dudes in real tight quarters uh moving down the highway at dangerous deadly speeds and part of your deal is just stay out of everybody's way don't annoy anybody don't fuck with their shit and that's the deal so when you break any of those rules uh enough you're not going to have a gig. Yeah. That's half the gig is just being able to like not fuck with people. You could,
1: yeah, I mean, you'll agree with this. You could be a good musician, but if you really shit the bed in that area that you just talked about, you'll go. I mean, someone would rather have a less a lesser musician that's easier to travel with and hang with.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, I know a bunch of guys who are
0: amazingly talented who I just won't tour with because you can't tour with them. It's like touring with a uh box full of uh, cobras or something you know what i mean it's just <laughs> it's it's just not fun
1: right uh in the new uh rolling thunder review documentary about this tour that bob dylan did have you seen this scorsese did this documentary it's on netflix it's really good
0: i watched uh, about half of it
1: well what i love about it is they just found this crazy greenwich village violin player chick because he almost ran over her in his car talking about dylan and they ended up hitting it off. It turns out she's this wonderful violin player who was dating Gene Simmons at the time. But it's really funny. At a certain part of the documentary, I don't know if you got this far, a lot of the people that were on the crew and in the band start kind of talking about her. And, dude, she seems crazy. Like, yeah, she, she traveled with, like, this huge like treasure chest that had, like, swords in it and candelabras. And she traveled with a snake. And she had a sword and a scabbard all the time. It's funny, imagine touring with someone like that. They they would go immediately, but I guess back in the 70s, that shit, they were rolling a little more loose than we like to.
0: Dude, all I know about that tour is Bob Dylan was
1: fucked up. Well, the band said that the only time they saw him was, A, on the stage at the gig, which is fine, but the only other time they saw him was when he was driving the tour bus, which he often did. (laughs)
0: because <laughs> he was coked out of his mind
1: and he had to do something he just looks so gacked out man he's wearing the kabuki makeup i think it's awesome it, it it watching that i watched it on an airplane you know how airplane movies are you're willing to watch shit you might otherwise not watch on an airplane i watched that on a plane and that kind of got me back into dylan for a minute because i thought that his persona was so interesting and the songs from that era from the desire era are so good and how does he write all those verses and memorize them? You write a lot of verses. How would, would you be able to memorize all that shit? I guess if you were a, uh, just an insane cokehead maybe. I mean, I used to have all
0: my songs memorized um but I don't need to memorize them anymore cuz I have them on, on an iPad, so mm-hmm. I don't necessarily worry about it. But if I had to
1: It's just a muscle.
0: If I yeah, if I had to, then I would and um and I mean, he's a smart motherfucker. So, I mean, he's you know he he probably has that ability to
1: memorize a lot of lyrics, just retain it all. Sure. Well, should we read some? Meme? What should we do? Should we? This has been a nice chat so far. Should we just let it roll, let it ride? I want to talk about how good Lana Del Rey is.
0: Have you listened to the? Have you had a chance to listen to Norman Fucking Rockwell?
1: I, I haven't, except for the "Fuck It I Love You" song, which I liked. But let me say this: I can track with you on that because she's one of my favorite artists. Uh, born to die and ultraviolence, two of my favorite records. So I'm with you 100. percent And I've heard her new record's great. What do you think? Uh, I just listened to it, and
0: I mean, here's what I do when I listen to music: I just want to hate it. Like I want to hate everything. I'm just looking for weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I'm basically listening to it to find the cracks, to find the flaws, so that I can dismiss it and, and be, feel and good o- about and be myself. Be okay. Yeah, and be okay. and be okay. Yeah, and. Lana Del Rey, like, even, like, there's a couple songs that start off, and I'm like, they they all start off strong, because she's one of the best lyricists ever. So they always have a great opening line. And then, like, there's a couple songs where, like, oh, yeah, she's starting to fall off a little bit. She's starting to fall off a little bit. But guess what? She's not. Because she's the best and her (laughs) worst song the worst song in that album is better than most people's best songs she's so amazing i mean like listening to her and then listening to uh the new taylor swift record which is phenomenal yeah but when you when you compare them back to back you just go well uh the taylor swift record is a Is a delicious candy bar
1: that you can eat. But Lawder well, is like a meal. Yeah. It's like <clears throat>
0: it's like chef's table. Right. Like it's it's like a, a a gourmet chef preparing a five-star meal,
1: and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Interesting too that you kind of picked those two records, both produced by Jack Antonoff, by the way, which is interesting to me.
0: Oh, I was wondering what was going on there. Cause that dude is amazing.
1: But I know I do
0: feel like the Taylor Swift record produced by a bunch of people
1: it is it is it's jack antonoff did half of it or a little less than half of it and then um the guy that did lord's first record did a lot of it and i've got a friend who plays guitar for taylor i write with all the time and because he plays guitar for her and he plays a little bit of keys with her when she puts out a new record he gets all the stems because he has to figure out how to duplicate it live or are they going to use this keys patch or put this in the tracks or whatever so he gets this really sort of surgical look into whatever her new things are and he said that the stuff from jack was awesome like the all the stems were really clean the edits were clean he said the stuff from the lord guy was kind of kind of bullshitty which is interesting to think about on a record at that level you know he said the edits were bad the the midis samples they were using were kind of like logic-y stock stuff and I thought that was interesting. I wonder if any of that plays some kind of subconscious part in how you or I might respond to a record because we live in that world so much.
0: Um, I don't know. I feel like some people, like some people, just use these sort of janky things, but they're that's just what they use to get the things, to get the results that they want. Well,
1: and it can be cool. I mean, it really can be cool. It doesn't. You don't have to have the nicest thing to make the coolest sound, for sure
0: absolutely so like just because something's clean doesn't make it good and just because something's janky doesn't make it bad so it really is just um what you do with it i mean like remember when like a few years ago we used to both work in pro tools i think we both work in logic now i've always been logic but you made the switch i made the switch a few years ago but but i don't know maybe it was 10 years ago maybe it was 15 years ago they uh They had um, some broken down Pro Tools files for some famous records. And one of them was a Queen song that was just... Right, yeah. Yeah. And when you listen to those tracks separated out, you're like, man, this sounds just like something that my neighbor did in his garage. (laughs) But then you put it together, and it sounds like Queen. And it it was just so... It was such an eye-opening thing when you realize, oh the reason that these records sound the way they sound is because of the way they all kind of come together not because of the individual tracks. And when you're recording your individual tracks, you want them to sound a certain way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that when they're all together with the rest of the band, they're going to sound great. I'm not saying it well, but there is a weird magical thing that happens when everything comes together and it has nothing to do necessarily with High fidelity recordings, or
1: right, you know, great equipment, or any of that L- stuff. Look at all the great bands like Hooskerdoo or the Ramones, Sex Pistols, Velvet. There's so many great bands that had no sense of fidelity or recording. Like even those early Kiss records are just, from an engineering standpoint, just horrifically bad. But there's a bunch of magic in them because it's the sound of those four dudes making music. And also, right. as you know, from making records, the mi- the mixing stage can be so huge, can really take. Because you can take a, I remember um, um, one of the songs on King Kong. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's, I think it's the last song on the record. What's the last song on the record? It has the footsteps on it. Uh... You may want to take some time. Oh, you may want to take some time, yeah, yeah. We, Dwight and I loaded that song up with guitars. We just loaded it up because we didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was a mess. But then whoever mixes your stuff... Uh, Dave, what's his name? What's the dude who mixes your shit? Dave McNair. Dave McNair. He kind of found, he was almost another creative force in the process and put everything in its right place and made some editing decisions with what should come up and what shouldn't and turned what kind of the rough mix was a kind of a mess, turned it into this, a beautiful kind of lush landscape. So that's a big part of it too. By the way, you know who's really enjoying this podcast? Who? Chicks. Chicks?
0: (laughs) Yeah. They're like, "Mm, give us some more engineering talk.
1: Zip. Well, okay. Well, let's. What what do the chicks want to hear us talk about? Being being old again. Should we talk more about how we're old? (laughs) Is that what they were responding to? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I was just like thinking, like if I was my wife and I was listening to this, I would have been like, bye
0: bye. I
1: don't think we have a lot of female listeners, Bob. Oh, we don't. I don't think so. No. Oh.
0: Well, that's a bummer. Um do we have an email? Let's listen, let's uh let's check out an email and um in our last five or six minutes here.
1: Well, we've got we've got a couple from E O B. E O B. And they're long. They're oh, long no. as usual. Oh, no. Um can you just pick one? I'll pick one. Yeah, yeah. Now this is in response to episode episode 41. He says the magical king with curly slippers. I don't know what that's in reverse. He says ha. This podcast is the most fucked up, hilarious, brilliant, honest, off the wall offering on the net. And this episode, not unlike most of the others, was all over the fucking place. I loved every minute of it. Uh, man, I do not. Re- I'm going to look at episode 14 right now because I do not know or episode 41. Episode 41, big in Japan. So this is right before I went to Japan. Let's see what we talked. To- Let's see what we talked about here, real quick. Clint going to Japan, Fanny about spiritual awakening and self actualization, the perspective that comes from having kids. Songs we thought would be more successful. Naming your kid Noel. Writing songs for other people. Believing in free will. Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, OJ Simpson, Michael Jordan's Hitler mustache. Uh, Okay, so that's what we talked about. Okay, well, he's saying that it was the most fucked up honest thing on the internet. He says, sorry to say, though heart-wrenchingly poignant and insanely important, I must admit I'm grateful you guys did not circle back to resume the discussion on abortion and right to life and or the termination thereof. Holy shit, that was agonizingly heavy. I will simply chime in and say, yes, Bob. I believe your suggested proposed sixteen weeks, four months as a cutoff point, and your reasoning for which is spot on. Okay, we're not going to get into all this shit. Uh, congrats, Clint, Clint to your wife on her recent achievement, meaning my wife graduating grad school. Fuck you out of your trip in Japan. Uh, love any time you guys talk about your wives and your kids, as it immediately brings up you both, brings you both straight back down to earth, and into the single most important things in your lives, well beyond the soaring pillars of music, creativity, and poop. He says, a couple of quickies. Clint, where can we find some samplings of your own music, the songs you yourself have written and published? You can look up my SoundCloud page. Just look up Clintwell SoundCloud. There's a 100 songs there that I've wrote and produced on the road and in my studio and in green rooms, largely while I was working with Bob. Bob, please describe your dream vacation, aside from just wanting to stay the fuck home whenever you've got some downtime. I get that. May you and Laura realize that dream someday soon. So what's your dream vacation, Bob, other than just staying home?
0: (coughs) No, that's my dream vacation. My my dream vacation is me being here at home and not having to do shit. And then maybe also being able to sleep. Mm. I'm with you, man. Like sleep for like, not for four hours, but for eight hours solid without waking up. Like wake up after eight hours and go, oh my God, eight hours just passed. And feeling
1: like, oh my God. I remember this feeling from the 90s. (laughs) I'm the same way, dude. I I was telling my wife, I was like, if you think I won't fly all the way to goddamn Tokyo and lay in bed and watch Netflix, you are wrong. Because I will do that. I will fly. I'll fly to fucking the moon and still stay in as long as there's Wi-Fi and air conditioning.
0: Yeah. I don't like to travel.
1: Man, I kind of don't either. Well, because it's what we do for our jobs, and we've been doing it for decades. So, we're you and I are kind of over it. I just want to be home. I feel like I'm yeah. never home. Home is the best because you can all your all the stuff you love is at home. I, I was just about to say that your gear, your music, your books, your art, your films, well, my fam- your family. Uh, there's also that.
0: <laughs> Good God! I mean, it's my family's here first and
1: foremost. Well, I'm talking about.
0: I'm talking, about rather, rather being, stuff.
1: I'm talking about rather being home than being on vacation. I'm assuming I'm with my family on vacation. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. I just right. mean, I like to be home with, my, of course, my family. But all my shit that I love, that I buy for my <laughs> right. life that makes me happy is here.
0: Well, here's, here's the problem about being on vacation with your family. You have to spend time with your family. When you're at home, <laughs> you can get the fuck away from your family
1: real easily. All you got to do is start an argument and then you're out of there dude the great louis ck joke he talks about putting his family in the car to go to the to go on vacation as he cram everything in the car you get the kids in you go and you let your wife in the car and he says that walk from letting your wife in the car back to your driver's seat to get in the car that's your vacation <laughs> <laughs> how good is that joke
0: pretty good.
1: I miss uh, Louis C.K. I, I, I know. I want him
0: to come back real
1: hard. I right? know, man. He tried. He tried, and it didn't work. So it's... Hold up. Zip. <laughs> I see that the zip jokes come back now. Well, I said
0: I want him to come back
1: real hard. Oh, okay. And it, it was in reference yeah, right. to him I'm sure the ladies, like, the ladies like that, too.
0: Dude, I hate the... The only thing I hate about all of that is the fact that every time I think of Louis C.K., I just think of him holding his weird red dick. <laughs> Like, I used to just think of him as, like, Louis C.K. in his black T-shirt. Now it's black T-shirt, and, oh, look down, he's got no pants on, and he's holding his dick. <laughs> and it's weird and red? It's weird and red, huh? Well, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I, it's not cool. I i don't like having that image in my
1: head. Well, look, speaking of Louis C. K.'s weird red dick, we we have to go now. Uh, this has been yet another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay. Louis C. K.'s weird red dick is not okay uh you can listen to my other podcast about metallica it's called metal up your podcast you'll probably like it if you like hearing my voice bob's other podcast the song club go join it go support him on patreon get a bunch of his demos and hear the stories and inside scoop and all his songs and we'll be back next week and i guess that's it bob unless there's anything else to say i got nothing to say except peace peace